I couldn't help but think with with what was just mentioned in the prayer that Jimmy led for us, thanking God for this beautiful day. Can't imagine when, you know, when we get so many wonderful sunshine days and we're like, oh, wish we would just rain and we get some water. Get some rain. Oh, I just wish we'd get some sunshine. <laughs> and it made me think of how we could look at the very same thing but from different vantage points. Like, for instance, I still love when it snows. And I know but more than half of you here just can't wait for spring. <laughs> and, and the same snowy day, and we look at it two different ways. For me, it's like, more. <laughs> for everyone, it's like, please go away. Well, when it comes to reading God's Word, there are times when we can look at a passage of Scripture and have all kinds of different ways that we would, and I'm going to use it wrong, understand it. We might miss that. We know we misunderstand the text, right? But from our vantage point, we think we do understand it. For instance, when we look at Romans chapter 1, verse 17, and we look at this passage, it's really one of the more obscure texts in the Scriptures. And we think, how is that possible? You know, when we look at verse 16, it seems real easy. You know, here's the gospel. It is the power of God to salvation for everyone who believes, for the Jew first and also for the Greek. But here's where things get a little obscure. He says, for in it, in that gospel, the righteousness of God is revealed from faith to faith. What does that mean? <laughs> you know, I venture to say that many of us in this room probably may not have taken, I don't know, but a second to go, yeah, what does that mean? And then come up with your opinion as to what it does mean. Maybe less of you would probably say, well, you know what, I actually want to study. And then you'll open up whatever you have as resources and say, well, what does it mean? And then whatever that person says, you might say, well, that makes sense. That's my belief. Or, no, that doesn't make sense. And then you have your own opinion. And then you start to have a conviction about that. Interestingly enough, I guess when you preach, you've got your own tools, right? So I've got all kinds of tools whether it's dictionaries, commentaries, so on and so forth, amazingly, there's all kinds of beliefs on what that phrase means, from faith to faith. We can look at the same words, every one of us, and then have a slight nuance of a difference, or maybe even a great big chasm of differences. And so here is one of the, the more obscure passages that you can have in the Bible, even though it's easy to read in English, but it's so fundamental, I believe, to our, not just our belief system, but how it affects our walk with the Lord. So when we look at a text like this, then, we can see that it's interpreted in various ways, and we can also note that when we look at the text and see, you know, what verses are before, what verses are after, we can get that general idea and be sure of what it is saying. And I believe what's sure is that the gospel reveals God's righteousness. That's very clear. It's very explicit. And hopefully we understand in general what that means. That God's word, particularly the message of Christ and our salvation through Jesus Christ, it reveals God's righteousness. That's what the gospel does. In fact, it does even more than that, but at least on that level we can understand. That's what it's doing. And so when we look at a passage like this, we can see that it reveals such. We can also see that man's righteousness only comes through the righteousness of God. 
We'll read that as well this morning. So what we're looking at this morning is to understand generally what that phrase means, at least from what we can get, what we can understand. And so I'm proposing this morning that that link, if you will, between God's righteousness and our righteousness is found somewhere in that text, from faith to faith. And I want this to be more than just an exercise, if you will, from a, I guess, a microscopic level. I want it to be something that when you see the text in Romans 1, verse 16, that the gospel is the power of God, that you can see that power of God from a tangible way, not just some words, if you will. And so that's what we're going to do this morning. And so we may never come to that specific, what does that phrase, faith-to-faith, mean? But what we want to do is understand God's righteousness as revealed in Christ through the gospel. Because when we do that, then we can see the effective power. That effectual power, if you will, for all who believe on Jesus Christ. So, I want us to begin. Look at this phrase here regarding that meaning. And I want you to see maybe if it lines up with what you have. And I'm only giving just a few. From one person's faith to another. In other words, when you look at verse 17 again, it says, For in it the righteousness of God is revealed from one person's faith to another's faith. Personally, I don't agree with that, but that's what some believe. You might believe that way. Or that it is the beginning of that salvation process. From the beginning when you believe that Jesus is the Christ, and as that process continues on through your life, that you grow in the Lord, the building of your faith, kind of like that. Um, first Peter, or Second Peter chapter 1, verse 5 following. When you add to your faith, virtue, knowledge, and so on and so forth. And so, you've got that process, if you will. That might be, that seems more in line, but I don't know if that's necessarily the case. You might have some that would say, well, you know, that you're going from faith to faith, from that Old Testament steward, if you will, guardian over your, your walk, and then when you come to know Christ, you go from that faith to this faith. And that's what he's talking about, because in this text here, he's just been talking about the Gentiles in chapter 1, and then the Jews in chapter 2, and so maybe that's what he's dealing with. Or... It could be the gospel's revelation to the manifestation of faith of those who believe in Christ. That is, in a nutshell, if you will, that here is God. And he's revealing himself to you through the message of God's word. And so it's from God to us, from faith to faith. See, you see what I'm saying? There's all kinds of different ways people look at a passage like this. So my question to you is, if all these people that have been studying for decades can't agree upon something like this, what hope do we for lay people, if you will? <laughs> you know, how do we get a passage like this and can benefit from it? And I believe we can. I believe that there's going to be other passages like this in the Scriptures that are more difficult for people to come to an absolute consensus upon. But that doesn't mean you cannot understand or benefit from this. And so, while we might not know the exact meaning of this text, I believe there is benefit, and notice these benefits. I believe what it does for us, when we look at this text, is help us to become more aware, through the text, to magnify our God. And I'll, I'll say this, I appreciate what Jimmy had to say in his prayer this morning, and I appreciate what was said by um, Jonathan when, with one of the songs that he was leading and, and discussing it, regarding dare to stand like Joshua, things of that nature where we can pattern our lives after our God, but the magnitude of that message is God himself. And sometimes we forget that. 
And it's easy, therefore, to, to lift each other up and get puffed up from that standpoint when we, when we lift man, if you will, and not magnify God. When we talk about the power of the gospel, the gospel only has power because of God himself. And I'm hoping then that you'll become more aware when, when we read such passages like this about God's righteousness and thus magnify his name. But I think where the rubber meets the road is when we understand God's righteousness, and please listen very carefully, when we understand how God's righteousness works in our lives through Jesus Christ, it will convict us. It will convict us in a way that our lives continuously becomes more and more transformed where we shed off that old man. And it's so easy to have these kinds of sermons or Bible studies where we talk about doing the will of God. And we're like, yeah, that's right, I need to know it. And we know it mentally, we know it academically, but when we walk out through the door, somehow, some way, we're not transformed. There's no power in that message. But it is powerful for those who believe. It is convicting, if you will, upon the heart so that our lives continuously sheds off that old man. Day by day we're being renewed. And I believe that's where the power of this message is and the benefit of understanding that phrase, even if from a more general perspective, that phrase in Romans 1, verse 17, from faith to faith, I believe then it can be beneficial for us. So here's what I want us to do. Look at the, the text there again in, in verse 17. For in it, the righteousness of God, that is in the gospel, the righteousness of God is revealed. So what is that? What does that mean? What does it mean for God to be righteous? Some might say, well, let me get my Vines dictionary out. And, okay, righteous, doing what is right. <laughs> okay. All right, so we can spit that one out, but what does that mean? What does it mean for God to be righteous? And I believe... It's such a broad stroke that we have to use that if, if we're to spend time on this, we could spend a whole sermon only on God's righteousness. But in a nutshell, and ultimately speaking, what this means is that our God is a holy God. And what I mean by that is, when we talk about being set apart, how is God set apart from his creation? Well, number one, he's all-knowing. We just think we are. God is all-seeing. We're not. That's why we can't read our wise minds. We're not all present, but God is. And ultimately, we sin. God never has. And so for all the various ways that God is separated from us, He is a holy and righteous God. He is the Creator. We have never created the way He has. He is so far above and beyond our comprehension of who He is. All we have is earthly words. That's all we have to try and even touch the hem of the garment of understanding who our God is. We have enough, mind you. But when I say that God is holy, we're talking about such a different standard of being. And I believe that's in the phrase, the righteousness of God is revealed. We have enough to know the righteousness of God as it's revealed to us. And so when we talk about his holy or his righteousness, it is from a standpoint that he is separate and apart from us. He is a holy God. And we can do nothing. 
to stand before our holy God. Because God is righteous. And His righteousness that manifests who He is, that holy God, means that none of us in this room, none of us in this world that has ever been born, that has ever been guilty of sin, can stand before Him. We're not worthy. We cannot justify our stance before Him. Just like when we, I think we were discussing in, in, I don't know if it was an invitation someone had given last, I might have been Phil, using Matthew chapter 7, verse 21, Lord, Lord, have we not done all these things in your name? And says, depart from me. I never knew you. There is no fellowship with such an individual, those who practice lawlessness. Well, guess what? Apart from Jesus Christ working what he did for salvation, who of us could stand before our God? Not one. No matter how many prayers we offered up to him, no matter how many times we have done things to glorify our God, that in of itself is not enough. We cannot stand before our God because we are guilty of sin. And God's righteousness demands that if we are to have fellowship with Him, then it's going to come from beyond us. And that's where He reveals Himself through His Son, Jesus Christ. It is because of this righteousness of God that He demanded that, that man be made holy if he's going to stand before Him. And the only way that man is going to stand before Him as holy is if God intervenes, that God provides for us a means by which we can be made holy. Because that's what His righteousness demands. And it was revealed to us in this regard. And it was revealed to us through our Savior Jesus Christ. He is the express image of our God. Think about that. Here is God, holy. And here we are, and we're not. God is in heaven, and here we are on this lowly earth that's been full of sin. God brings Himself down to come into contact with man in a very tangible way, if you will. And that's why when you read Hebrews chapter 1, verse 3, it tells us that our God, is, or Jesus Christ, is the express representation, the perfect representation, the exact representation. And we're also told in John chapter 1, verse 1, in the beginning was the Word. The Word was with God. The Word was God. And dropping on to verse 14, and the Word became flesh and dwelt among men. Here is our holy God coming in the likeness of men, Philippians 2, 6 following, and being found in the appearance of a man, lived among us. And when we look at Jesus Christ by faith, we're seeing God and we're seeing His righteousness. It's being revealed to us. And it is in that sense then that Jesus is that manifestation of God's righteousness. But He also did more than that. He more than just stood among us where we can look at His life. We can contrast His teachings and His lifestyle, compare it and contrast it against man's standard, and compare it against or with, if you will, God's expressed will that had been revealed to man throughout the centuries. So if you notice then, Matthew chapter 5, when, and he's in the middle of his sermon, he was telling him, you know, you've heard that it was said, but I say unto you, and he goes down through the list, right? And when he's all done with that, he says, now listen, I want you to be perfect, as your Father in heaven is perfect. That's the only way you can stand before your God. 
Can you imagine the reaction of the Jews who knew very well they're not perfect? Now, some had that self-righteousness about them, but from a technical standpoint, from a mental aspect, they knew they were not righteous, that they could stand before a holy God. And here's Jesus saying, you'd be perfect. In fact, he told his listeners, I want your righteousness to exceed those of the Pharisees. He said earlier in the chapter. Here's a perfect standard. And Jesus lived that perfect standard that he taught. We're told in Hebrews 4, verse 14 and 15, that here he is among us. A high priest that can understand us because he lived as we live. But he did so without sin. Well, that's a holy God who is dwelling among men, revealing himself to mankind. That's what he's done. Well, here's where the gospel comes in, because it's through the gospel message that we can stand before our God. If you notice, when, when Paul's writing to the church at Rome, and he's talking about the Gentiles in chapter 1, talking about the Jews in chapter 2, and then confines all to sin in chapter 3, he uses Abraham as an illustration of a man who was considered righteous before God, not because he was great of himself. He was a faithful man, no doubt. And maybe his faith would be a great example for us today. But he only stood righteous because of his belief in God. He trusted in God. And it was accounted to him as righteous. And it is by faith then that we've been justified by grace and are able to stand before our God. That's Romans 5 verse 2. So how does all this work together with the gospel? Well, if you'll notice, when we look at God's word, it is the gospel itself, the message of good news that has been revealed to men. So here is Jesus, as we're again told, you know, in times past, God spoke to us through the prophets in diverse ways. But now he has spoken to us through his son, the express image of God. Well, what did he say? He said to his closest followers, after he died and rose again, and just before he's ascending to heaven, he says, I want you to go into all the world, and I want you to preach the good news. I want you to proclaim the good news to all men everywhere. That's the good news that we're talking about today. Well, what is that message? The overall message that when we read that good news lets us know that, number one, God is righteous and we're not. And I had a hard time accepting that. Not necessarily from, from uh, someone that I didn't accept God's word, Except it from wrapping my mind around things. Because you know what I was taught before I became a Christian? We're all pretty good. That's what I was taught. I never killed anyone. Not on purpose. And not on accident either. I've never robbed a store. My worst crime was robbing my mom from her quarters so I could play arcade games. That's what I remember growing Well, of course, my life was pretty more... Well, I was not a good example of being upright. <laughs> but you know what? Every one of you here, I don't care if you were raised in the body of Christ, you could not stand upright before your God. Not a one of you. And that is something that we've got to understand. When you read Romans chapter 3, we're going to pick up the following week when we deal more with our faith. I want you to look at Romans chapter 3, and 
I want you to see how this righteousness of God, through the gospel, if you will, is being revealed in this manner. And then we can see the gospel being effective by those who believe. Romans chapter 3, beginning in verse 21, Paul says there, But now the righteousness of God, apart from the law, is revealed, being witnessed by the law and the prophets. Even the righteousness of God through faith in Jesus Christ to all and on all who believe. For there is no difference. For all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God being justified free by His grace through the redemption that is in Christ Jesus, whom God set forth as a propitiation by His blood. In other words, it was through that sacrifice and in need of that sacrifice that our sins have been forgiven. That's the grace, if you will. And that's the righteousness that is being revealed to us, that we're all guilty of sin. We cannot stand before our God. We fall short of such. But through Christ, we have that redemption because he was set forth as a propitiation that through faith to demonstrate his righteousness because in his forbearance, God passed over the sins that were previously committed to demonstrate at the present time his righteousness. That he might be just and the justifier of the one who has faith in Jesus. Now, I'm not sure how much you've gotten of, of all that some of you say, yes, Nick, right on, that's in line. And some say, well, I'm still not quite sure how that righteousness is revealed. Know this, number one, as we were talking about, God's righteousness ultimately is revealed through Jesus Christ by his life here. When he's nailed to the cross, it was done so that we could stand before our God. But there's no power yet in that because it only comes to those who believe that Jesus is the Christ. You know, even from a very broad religious vantage point, in this country you've got many kinds of people professing to be Christians. But you'll have names like Billy Graham, very popular in the name of Christianity, who's gone so far as to, well, you know, we've got other types of religions. And the way he speaks would be as if to be on par with that's not That's not at all what Paul was saying. It's only through Jesus Christ. We don't serve the same God with Muslims. We don't say, share the same God with any other religion. And it's only through Jesus Christ that everyone who believes on him can be saved. Now, when we look at what this means, we can then see the effective power. For instance, when we look at the Scriptures and, and what it reveals, we talk about those who would hear the good news. What is it that we're hearing about this good news? That Jesus is the risen Christ. That's why we had that sermon last Sunday. He's the resurrected Christ. And we believe that there's going to be a resurrection of the dead. And that those who are found Believing in Christ, according to the truth that we can see through this gospel message, which we are not yet done with, only they will be with him as the first fruits of that resurrection. They'll be found to be raised up in everlasting life. But those 
individuals are those who believe that Jesus is the Messiah. He's the one that came to save. And we're willing then to confess Him as such. That's why we're, say, we're told in Romans chapter 10, verse 9, that with the mouth confession is made unto salvation. That is, with the mouth we believe that Jesus is the Christ, and we're willing to confess Him before men. And the reason why I specifically mention Muslims as my first illustration, that we don't have the same God, and one calls them Allah, and the other calls them Jehovah, or God, I mention them because, believe it or not, we're getting more and more Muslims in this country. And I wouldn't be surprised, give it two generations from now, if we see a very different United States, if we could even call it such. And many Muslims, I don't care if people talk about moderate Muslims or what, if you believe that Jesus is the Christ, you're worthy of death. And that's just no small matter of difference that we have in belief. And your life is at stake when you can confess before others that Jesus is the Christ and salvation can only come through Him. And it is that kind of conviction that has power for you. It is no longer just a belief that somehow you make it to church services and what have you. It's the way you live every single day, including the fact that you confess with your mouth to others that Jesus is the risen Christ. Brethren, there's not enough Christians, in my personal opinion, that are convicted enough to, to talk that way. We can agree to it. We can believe it. But to live it, that's where the power is. Because we've convicted so much so, we share the gospel, the good news that is, with everyone. And that's where that repentance comes in. You're turning away from your way of living, and Jesus is not just Christ, He's not just the Savior, if you will. He's your Lord. And you do exactly what He says. He's the King of kings. He's the Lord of lords, and it is through His righteousness that you follow in His footsteps. Now you're beginning to see the power of the Gospel message. That is why when you read all these passages like Romans chapter 6, 1 Peter chapter 3, verse 21, or Acts chapter 2, verse 38. The power of that message were, was that in those cases, everyone who believed that Jesus was the Christ and repented, turning toward Him, they were buried with Christ in baptism and raised to walk in newness of life. And when you see the lives change, you see the way they behave, it's an actual turning from one way of living to another. That's when you see the power of the gospel working in the lives of men. Brethren, you cannot just agree that the gospel is powerful, but you're not living it. You cannot simply say, yes, there are people who have obeyed the gospel, but their lives are no different before they obeyed the gospel than after. And if the only difference is that they come to services, if that's your only difference, it's nowhere near the effect that Paul had in mind when he wrote to the brethren at Rome. It is very effective, however. Very effective to transform lives. When you have individuals that have no problem glorifying God, they're not worried like, well, it's kind of charismatic to praise God in public, so I guess not. <laughs> 
because that's more like a charismatic. Or that when someone speaks out against God, that you will stand up and let them know you stand before a creator that you cannot see. And you just blaspheme him. Or that you're willing to make hard choices in your own life so that you can stand with your God, even if it means you lose your family, you lose your friends, you lose your job, all because you're so convicted that Jesus is the Christ and that God always provides for His people. See, that's the power I believe Paul was talking about. That's the benefit I believe that we can have when Romans chapter 1, verse 17 means something to us. It shows by the way we go about our lives. We just don't go about it status quo. We go about it turning this world upside down the way brothers and sisters in Christ did in the first century. And if we do that, I believe that salvation that is there for us through the gospel message, that we can see the righteousness of God, see how holy he is and how we can actually stand before him holy through Jesus, it's for everyone who believes. 